alight upon all of us this morning as we begin this new journey. As we look at all these crowds over the next several weeks and how Jesus interacts with the crowd. We are the crowd sometimes. Not sure what to make of him. Not sure what he wants from us. Not sure what we have to offer. So Lord, speaking to us this morning about what it means to serve Jesus, to be a disciple, and what it means to see all the people that are around us. Pour into the words that I say now. May they be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask these things. The people of God said together, Amen. I want to invite you, as always, you can look at the version event. You can lock it in, make sure you save it. It disappears after you leave uh, by 12.15. Make some notes. Follow along with some things I put in there as well. You ever been in a big crowd? Have you ever been in a big crowd? You been in a big crowd? Who loves a big crowd? Let me ask, who, who loves a big crowd? What? You look, Peyton, you love a big crowd? Okay, all right. Judy, you love big crowds too? Judy goes to almost every musical event known to, known to humanity, and so uh, she would know about big crowds for sure. She was just there for Toby Mac and all that. Uh, I asked my daughter about going to that. She says, I don't really like crowds. I don't really like to go to that. But one year we went together and we sat in the box. That was a, that's a so much better deal than, yeah, away from the crowd. <laughs> that, was a big, that was a big deal. You know, crowds... Are, are, are impressive. A couple of years ago, we went to um, Dillard's. Dillard's has a one-day sale on New Year's Day, I believe it is, when we went, right? Is that right? right. And I'm like, well, we'll just go to this. It's not, you know, I, I don't like Black Friday going out and doing all that kind of stuff. I, I just try to avoid some of those bigger crowds for that. Dillard's, the entire parking lot was filled with people all waiting to get in the doors for this one-day sale that Susan dragged me to. I'm like going, I'm never doing this again. They were all nice and everything, but it was just like there were a thousand people waiting to get in the doors. Then we get inside, of course, there's all these small spaces everybody's trying to get into. That's the worst. It's crowds. There were crowds always gathering around Jesus for some reason. There are crowds everywhere we go. Some crowds that we don't know. I mean, for instance, the, the whole see all the people was about these different kinds of crowds, but you know, we're in crowds various places at various times. Sometimes we know the crowd, sometimes we don't. You see, in the story in Luke 5, 1 through 11 that we're looking at, it's about the beginning of a life-changing journey for Jesus and for all his future disciples, including you and me. This is the start. He's just starting out. The story just happened after the temptation of the devil in Luke 4, which we'll, we'll come circle back around to when we get to Ash Wednesday and the first Sunday of Lent, which is a ways from now. And it's when Jesus began to teach in the synagogues, and he reveals what he's going to do in ministry. By reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's just done this in Luke 4. And after he proclaimed that this scripture is fulfilled in him, 
He begins teaching the crown, healing the sick, casting out the demons, and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God like he just talked about. And that's why there is a pressing crowd gathered around him in Luke 5. It's always important to know the context of why, when we look at Scripture, what's going on. This is why. And so it begins with Luke 5, 1. It says, Once while Jesus was standing near the lake of Gethsemane, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, pressing, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Jesus wanted to see all the people, so he went to where they were, in the marketplace. Jesus knew unless he moved to the marketplace, he couldn't see the crowd. They weren't going to come to him, he was going to go to them. And that's what our new sermon series is all about, See All the People. It's also a defining part of our denomination and discipleship board's take on the fact of moving outside of our comfort zone of the churches. That we all have to move from the church to the marketplace. And the marketplace for us is the community. That we're doing more ministry in the community than maybe perhaps we're doing in the church itself. And Jesus knew the gospel, the good news, should not be confined inside the temple. He couldn't just read a scroll when he went into the synagogue. Or the churches. It must be heard in the marketplace from where people are. Because that's the only place they're going to hear it. Jesus always welcomed and spoke to people about the kingdom of God. Remember, he fed the crowd of 5,000 at one time in Matthew 14, 21. And the crowd of 4,000 another time in Matthew 15, 38. Luke 5 doesn't mention how many people were gathered there listening to him. But we can imagine it was a huge crowd of people more than likely in the thousands we also don't even know what was the message he taught that day but Luke says so many people wanted to hear Jesus teach that he asked Simon to take him in his boat verse 3 he got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little way from the shore Then he sat down and taught the crowd from the boat. So Jesus was creatively using his circumstances to meet the needs of the crowd. And it was also for the very exhausted Simon Peter who was listening and had no idea what he was about to become. Our Christian DNA is to preach the word of God creatively. In any circumstance. Did you know that John Wesley, our founder, preached on his father's preached in his father's graveyard at Epworth, England? He even used his father's tombstone to be his pulpit when he was preaching. It's pretty bold. So Jesus, his church is the lakeside, and his pulpit is the boat and the open road. Jesus and John Wesley challenged us not to wait people in the church. John Wesley never preached in a church most of the time. He would go out to the, to the square. He would go out to the fields. He would go out to the mines where the workers were, and he would preach there with the occasional bottle upside his head because they got tired of listening to him. And he'd get back up and he'd preach again. But he'd go to where they were 
He didn't wait for them to come to him and near to Jesus. It's about seeing all the people beyond the church walls. A striking moment came after Jesus has finished talking to the crowd about God and how God wants to live. Verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water now. Let down your nets for a catch. What we know in this story is that Peter worked hard all night and caught nothing. If it's a time of loss and defeat, he would not have let Jesus use his boat. But he took Jesus on his boat anyways. I guess maybe he thought, what have I got to lose? I'm already a loser. I'm a complete failure. We haven't caught a thing. What can it really hurt to take this guy out on the boat to go fishing? And after preaching, Jesus asked him to cast the nets. And as a Galilean, Peter, a fisherman, might have known that Jesus was a carpenter by trade. And he might have thought that a carpenter did not know anything about fishing. But he surrendered his prejudice. He let aside his pride. And he went and he let down his nets. You see, Peter was the one who sat in the boat with Jesus while he was preaching, and he heard the good news of Jesus for the first time. And Peter thought he could rely on him, so so Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night, we've caught nothing, yet if you say so, I will let my nets down. That's a big moment, right? He could have just kept to his old ways. And Jesus showed his thanks to Simon for letting him sit in his boat with a huge catch of fish, a crowd of fish. You know, maybe we can experience God's miracles when we rely on the word of God beyond our prejudice and our profession and our pride. Amen? If we get past those things, then God can bring a miracle. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish, their nets were beginning to break. This is a catch that must have been unprecedented for Peter. They had never seen this many fish at one time. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come out and help them. And they came and filled both boats, and then they began to sink. Because there were so many fish. A similar story in John 21. Much, much later on in this journey, in this story. Part 3, episode 3, if you might, of the trilogy. Jesus met Peter again after the resurrection while he was fishing. And Jesus said, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because there were so many fish. So he was hearkening back to this story at the end. And the new beginning was going back to the first beginning. It was full of large fish with a count of 153. Fishermen counted when they caught fish. 
you ever been fishing, you've counted the number of fish you've had. You've also probably looked at how, what the size of the fish that you are. And maybe you've enlarged that a little bit to make yourself look better. No one's ever done that fishing here, right? And everyone in the scene in Luke 5 would have counted the fish too. And they would have been amazed at how many fish were caught. Then what would you say to Jesus if you were Peter? What do you say? You say, thank you very much? Seems kind of lost, right? But Peter was different. After trying unsuccessfully to catch fish all night, Peter and some others realized that this was a miracle. That the fish were not there when they'd been fishing all night. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, Simon Peter acknowledged that Jesus is the Lord and that he, Peter, was a sinner. And he was afraid he was not good enough to be in the presence of one who does miracles. Do you ever feel that way? that you don't really deserve to be in the presence of the one who does miracles? See, he saw the more important matter than fishing, which was knowing that he was a sinful man, which could not be, could not be with the Lord on the same place. I don't, I don't deserve to be with you. And this miracle, it brought Peter to understand both his own sinfulness and Christ's holiness. To know where he was and who Christ was. Which is vital to being a disciple. We have to understand our brokenness before God can be able to heal us. You see, our faith journey starts with a confession. Proclaiming who Jesus is and knowing who we are. Remember, that's the, that is the head part, our definition of a disciple. From Matthew 4.19, that's the head part. Knowing Jesus. Ascending to his leadership. Peter would say he's a fisherman. When people asked who he was, you might say to people, you might say that you're a businessman or businesswoman, you're a technician, engineer, farmer, or a fisherman, a teacher, whatever it is, you might declare yourself to be that when someone asks you what you do. What would you tell Jesus who you are? What would you tell Jesus who you are? Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. See, it's up to us to decide whether we're going to have a one-time encounter with Jesus like this, or it's going to be an eternal one. That was the decision they had to make that day. A one-time miracle of fish or the miracle of the Son of God who would give them new life. And Jesus' answer to Peter, who asked him to leave, is an invitation instead. Jesus didn't say, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. You are not worthy to be at my feet. That's not what Jesus says. 
He said, then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Jesus reassured him and told him not to be afraid. Jesus knew he could help Simon catch people. Then Simon Peter and his partners James and John left their fishes and everything and started following Jesus because of this event in their life, this life-changing event. And Simon Peter displays a range of emotions in this passage. Peter has the honor of having Jesus in his boat. The teacher wants to be in my boat. He shows his frustration or shame when Jesus, a carpenter by trade, tells him where and how to fish. We all love being told by somebody else how to do something we think we know how to do better, right? I'm sure we're very graceful about talking to somebody about that too. He has reluctant obedience in obeying Jesus' command to fish. Then he has the astonishment that it even worked. And then he's amazed at how well it worked. Not only they got ten fish, that would have been okay, but how well it worked. Then he's overwhelmed at the realization that Jesus worked this miracle. It was Jesus who did it. And then finally, he has the honor of following Jesus. It's kind of where he started from. Among the crowd, many who heard the preaching of Jesus and saw the power of Jesus considered this event a one-time amazement only. Wow, that's really cool. Everybody loves miracles like that. That's Wow, look what happened over there. All those fish they brought in. But there were only a few who knew the higher purpose behind the blessings as a call to discipleship. It begs to ask the question, what is your purpose in life, in business, in ministry? Is it following Jesus? Is it really being a disciple and following him, not just believing in him, but following? Following requires our head and our heart and our hands to be able to truly follow. See, discipleship is, is not adding something but subtracting to focus on the higher purpose of catching people. We're not trying to add something. We're trying to clear out the things in our life that keep us away from Jesus and from being a true disciple. Those things that keep us away are are the things that are barriers. We can't fully focus because we're focused on those things and not on him. And what qualities of discipleship does Peter display in this passage? You see his submission. You see his obedience, his repentance, his worship, his trust, and following. Which of these have you experienced? Which of these qualities does God want you to focus on? What do you need to have most in your life to be able to follow Jesus more fully? Or begin following him for the first time. And what does it look like to be a fisher of people within a five mile radius of Good Shepherd? 
Do you know five-mile radius of Good Shepherd and how far that extends? How many neighborhoods do you know? How many places do you really know outside the radius of wherever your house is? And You see, Peter, along with James and John, agreed to follow Jesus in fishing for people. But what do you think convinces Simon Peter, as well as James and John, to leave their fishing business to follow Jesus in fishing and catching people? I mean, because of Jesus, Simon and his fishing business partners, James and John, just caught a bunch of fish. They just hit the mother load. That's a lot of fish to be able to sell. They were back in business, and business was good. The best it had ever been. And so I think maybe it's something we miss in this story. Because at the height of their success, of their worldly success, they left everything behind in order to follow Jesus, which must have meant they were leaning with their heart. Because in their head, it didn't make any sense. But they were listening to their heart. They were following Jesus' words. And this following would involve relating to and engaging with people in the communities in which they traveled, and they were always traveling around, not staying in one place very long. Specifically, it would involve living out the greatest command of loving God and neighbor as self. And these first disciples, like us today, were called to see all the people, to engage their community, to not wait for them to come to them. They went out to them. They got to know them. They made new relationships. They made new friends. They met new people. They were constantly going outside of their comfort zone. Lori, did you meet a lot of new folks out there? A lot. You see, see all the people challenges us to use the word engagement. Say engagement. It's a good, strong word, engagement. In deliberate contrast to our traditional understanding of outreach. That's a word we've used in the church for lots and lots of word, years. Outreach. What does that really mean? Most of the time you have to define it to be able to figure it out, and it's all over the place. Outreach. See, outreach usually has taken traditionally two forms. It can be missional efforts. These are traditional helping ministries such as food, clothing drives, neighborhood cleanups, food pantries, all the events we might call serve events. That's what we think about being missions and outreach. Then there are some outreach efforts that are more evangelistic efforts. They're more like our go events. You have Kim and serve and Debbie and serve and you've got James and go. And they're always trying to figure out how, how they interact and what's the difference and everything else. I, mean, I think we figured out what we're going to do. But, but part of the thing is, is that the go events are things like attending a street festival, like Freedom Fest, handing out things, handing invitations to the church, handing out water, going to a park to pass out those water bottles with information from the church on them. It's the things that we talk about doing, like going to going to um, Wessington and having a day of ice cream and talking, getting to know people. I mean, those are the kind of events and the things that we're talking about. When we talked about during discipleship back in the fall, any outreach event 
whose goal is simply inviting people to come to church or only providing ministry for people and not with people without regards to building relationships is short-sighted. And this is the point of intentional discipleship, which is actually getting to know people as much as it is serving them. To know their needs, to connect with them. We've discussed this in Room at the Inn, and I've heard some great stories about how you're going through and talking to them more and offering devotional and prayer time and, and various things so we actually know them more than just their name or their presence just sitting there, which is all good. It is great to clothe people. It is great to feed them. It is great to give them a place to stay. But it is our job as Christians to get to know them as people. That's intentional discipleship. You see, missional engagement is the building of authentic, organic, and consistent relationships. Not one-time, one-off things, but consistently building relationships. Only relationships built on these three characteristics will lead to intentional discipleship. Because engagement's not a program. It's an ethos that must be deeply rooted in our understanding of intentional discipleship, like Jesus did it. Biblically focused environments that either are that way or lead to some way to help people come closer to Jesus in every level of life. When we change our understanding, that also fundamentally changes the way we approach the planning of any activity or event that we do. From feed the need, to trunk or treat, to our upcoming Easter egg event, or community yard sale, garage sale, whatever it is, these are the things we have to look at and figure out, are we intentionally trying to make disciples? And how are we doing that? We've done it with feed the need and trunk or treat. Those were very different this past year. We have to ask different questions about all of these. How would that event change if it were planned to ensure that our encounter with people at the event was organic and authentic and continuing? How do we do that? It could involve a team of people whose sole responsibility is simply to talk to people, listen to their stories. We've started doing that more and more. We know more at the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts than we ever have in our building. We knew more about our trunk-or-treat guests than we ever have. Every event becomes an idea of listening to stories and getting to know people. Because we cannot make disciples without first being in relationship with people. Amen? You can't make a disciple of someone until you know them. We mentioned last week you can't speak the truth to someone unless you know them and you love them. It's relationships. See all the people challenges churches and congregations to go to the marketplaces to see all the people. To preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Invite them to a higher purpose in their life. It was to dream big for God. To see what people don't see. Find the meaning of life. Change the priority of life. Become a disciple of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our goal. Our goal isn't to have the best whatever it is. Our goal is to actually reach people and make a difference in their life. We discussed a lot during our serve uh, brainstorming meeting a couple weeks ago about you know, how do we do these things that can help to involve individuals and small groups and Sunday school classes and everybody as community, but also not just do those things here, but how do we keep connecting those to the outside world? Like kindness with cookies. 
We can make a bunch of cookies, and we're really good at that. We can bag them all up, which is the serve team function, and get them ready to go. We can give them to the go team of people gathered together around James, and they go and take them out to the people at the ER and to you know, fire stations and all those other kind of things. And we can call it good in a day and go, wow, that was awesome. We did a great job. But do we really know any of those people? Do we really have a relationship with them at the fire station and say, besides dropping off cookies, what could we do for you? How can we get to know you? What can we do differently? See, it's the next step. It's the step that James talks about doing, that he's going to become a small group leader and go lead a group at Wessington with the residents that are over there. That's on his heart. Not just have the ice cream social and then go away and pack everything back up and come home, but actually go into the community and reach out and do those things. Ernesto has been brought on board to be able to do a... He does basketball training for kids between 5 and 18, male and female. And the goal is not the basketball. The goal is actually discipling. The basketball is the tool. This could be a great opportunity for be able to bring in kids from the community who will begin to build relationship with us. The Cubs are the same way. We've begun to get to know them. I can tell them by name when I see them. Begin to know their families. What's going on? That's who Jesus is. He didn't come to town, do a couple of miracles, throw some fish out there, and then go, you know what? See you later, guys. The disciples trained the same way. Not to sit back and build their own church, the church of St. Peter, and sit back and wait for everybody to come to it. St. Peter went out. He went out and he went to places. He met people. And they're always on this journey. And Paul was on this journey. You see? To see all the people means we have to see all the people by going outside. And going to neighborhoods and places. I, I heard Shelly the other day, I think it was Shelly, asking Officer Lee, who's our main police officer, which we'd mentioned before in our in one of our meetings about asking, what do they actually need? If we could do something for you, what do you need? Snacks on your shift? We mentioned before having a place to stay, which they said we really couldn't figure that out, but we offered it. What do you need? And then how do we get to know that? These officers that we see who are here every Sunday morning who are not only just directing traffic, but also drive around the building and are a great deterrent to theft and anything else that goes on, most folks aren't going to go up against an officer who's only a block away or less sometimes. Do you know them? Have you asked their name? Have you talked to them? They're part of our family. They're here every Sunday. You see how hard it is sometimes just to get to the next level of just that? You know, do we know all the businesses next door? Has anybody gone over and talked to everybody in the new building and in the back building when it gets finished up? Do we even know our neighbors that are right here on our part of the property? Do you know the guys in charge of batteries? Do you know the people who are doing the nail salon? I don't care whether you use their services or not. Do we even know them? You see? See all the people has to begin and extend out from, from here. People are going to know us in the community. It happens because we go out. And this missional engagement that is outside of our doors. 
And so as we discuss these crowds over the next several, several weeks, these crowds are all wanting something from Jesus. And some folks in those crowds are going to respond. And some folks in those crowds are going to see the miracles and the amazement of it and just go on their way. But the question for us is, what are we going to do with it? When we've seen the crowd, the people everywhere who don't know Jesus, how long are we going to sit back and just continue to let it happen? Because we're too scared to do anything. Too scared to go to neighborhoods. Too scared to offend somebody in the businesses. Fear. Peter had fear. That was obvious because Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. Peter must have been white as a ghost. But what Jesus was asking him to go and to do. And yet he still did it. So I invite you to come on this journey of seeing all the people and being able to bring the presence of God to all those who don't know. To bring the life of God, the saving power of Jesus' blood, and his sacrifice for us. To let someone else know that they are loved, they are not forgotten, and that someone they don't even know cares about them enough to attempt at least to make relationship and to connect. We see that a lot through our Feed the Need people who come back again and again. We hear that from the end guests who say, I know about your church. I know how you serve. I know how you help. I know you actually care about us when we come. That's how you change lives. That's intentional discipleship. Let those coming forward to serve come as we pray. We thank you for your presence. Pour into this bread and this juice the reminder of your sacrifice for us and of your resurrection and new life for us. May we be empowered by the gift of grace and sacrifice. Spirit, on these things we gather in this place. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. People of God said together. Everyone to this table, whether you're United Methodist or struggling in your faith, Jesus says, Come and follow me. I will make you fishers of people. So come, follow him. Let him guide you steer you. You may come as everybody gets in place to receive this sacrament from God. Come.
Where you 
called me higher and you have called me deeper. I will go where you call me, Lord. May that be the words left on our lips today as we leave this place. Lord, call me deeper. Lord, call me higher. Lord, lead me where you're calling me to go to see all the people. Amen. You have called me higher.